Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Would you please open up your Bibles to the book of Philippians, the first chapter, the third chapter. Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Would you please stand as we read? This is the word of God, and it's eternally true. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel and of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. You know how I tell you that the Apostle Paul, when he writes these letters, uh, says, finally. And then you have, what, a third of the letter left. And so the Apostle Paul's bringing things to an end. He kind of has the feeling that um, their patience is growing thin. You know, that the letter's getting a little bit long. And, you know, so he says, finally. And that's to keep us going to the end, right? And then my brethren, it's very helpful for me to think of how they would have sat in the early church because then all the brethren of the epistles make sense. Generally, the women and the men sat separately. And so as a a speaker, you would speak to the men, but you would speak knowing the women were disapproving of everything you said. You know, if, if a man speaks in a forest and there's not a woman there to hear him, is he still wrong? Come on, you guys, laugh, it's funny. (laughs) Has there ever been any serious thing that you needed to say to your teenage daughter in your home that your your wife has not been prepared to improve? (laughs) Okay. 
So he says my brethren, but that's not excluding the women who are, who are listening. It just was the way that you would speak. You'd speak to the men. The women were listening. And I assure you, just, just the way it is with me, it was this way with preachers in the New Testament time, that they knew as soon as the service was over what the women present thought. And they had the questions of the women. And so it wasn't that women were kept, you know, were demeaned. It's just so stupid. The women weren't demeaned. It's women forced to kill their unborn child in their womb today who are demeaned. All right, so just chill out about thinking that we're so smarmy, so smart. We're not. So finally, and that's to keep you going for another couple chapters, all right, my brethren rejoice. And when I, when I read this, I think of my daughter, Michael who had this habit of probably uh, reflecting back to me what my face looked like, but Michael often had a bit of a glum face which, when she was in high school. And you always had the feeling that maybe the world wasn't quite treating her the way she ought to be treated when you looked at her. You know, that there, that there was something wrong, you'd done something wrong. And I, I tell my children in high school that they exist to make me happy. Of course, it's true for all ages, but it's especially true for teenagers when if you don't tell them that, they'll make the mistake of thinking that the world exists to make them happy. And that's a terrible thing for a teenager to think because a teenager can't ever be happy. And so you just tell them they're there to make you happy, and one of the ways to do it is what? It's to smile. So I'd say to Michael, Michael, smile. Well, if you were to go to a teenage daughter or son and you were to say, rejoice, what would they say? You know very well what they'd say, and it's sort of the way Michael would respond. But I don't have anything to smile about. She'd never say it quite like that. She'd say, well, I don't feel like smiling, but, you know, feeling like smiling means I don't have anything to smile about. And so the Apostle Paul doesn't leave us with this sort of guilt-tripping rejoice. You know, that's what contemporary Christian music would do. Rejoice! But he says what? He says rejoice in the Lord. And the minute you get that prepositional phrase, you begin to be disciplined. Because why? Well, because the truth is, the reason we all walk around with glum faces or, you know, uh, are sad, the reason that we fight, the reason... The reason that we don't rejoice is that we do not want to rejoice in the Lord. (laughs) Right? What we want to rejoice in is what? We want to rejoice in our cucumbers. We want to rejoice in the poppies flowering. But those are relatively good. (laughs) We want to rejoice in alcohol. We want to rejoice in the superiority of our home to the home of our best friend. That's the superiority of our method of feeding our babies to the other women in the church. In other words, we want to rejoice in either something that feeds our lusts, our pleasures, or we want to rejoice in our superiority to others. Right? Right? 
Isn't that what keeps every man trimming his grass? I mean, I just love the fact that Doug never trims his grass. I can drive by his house every single day, multiple times a day, and feel superior to Doug. Come on, what? Yeah, he says he's happy to help. (laughs) That's my son-in-law. They live up the street, or we live down the street from them. Now, I'm making a joke out of it, but it is true. If you look in James, what does James say? Why are you fighting? It's because you don't have what you want, and you don't have it because you haven't asked, right? And so um, envy, selfishness, pride, lust are at the heart of the reasons that we are sad, that we are angry, that we divide, that we fight. And all of those things are things that Satan entices us with to keep us from rejoicing in the Lord, right? And so he says what? He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. Now, in this particular case, he goes on to talk about what it is that they were trying to rejoice in that was keeping them divided and fighting in a church. So the Philippian church is probably the healthiest church of all the epistles, but the Philippian church had the problem of division and schism, fighting. They fought. And so he's been dealing with this throughout the letter. And here he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. It's no problem for me to repeat myself. Right? Pat the bunny is never read one time. Okay? And then he says what? Well, then he shows you what your temptation is that keeps you from rejoicing in the Lord. What is it? Well, here it is. He says, beware of the dogs. Now, remember how last week I said that we have to see how scandalous scripture is we have to begin to realize how much we don't like God and, how, and what he says to us, right? Because that's repentance. And here we should repent of judging God for calling people in the church dogs. Dog in our culture isn't that bad. In that culture, it was horrible. So the apostle Paul says, beware of the dogs. He's not talking about the, you know, the short-haired German shepherd. He's talking about men in the church. And when he calls them dogs, that's an incredible insult in the ancient Mideast. Incredible. So there are men in that church who are being called dogs publicly in the reading of this epistle. Now, can you conceive of such a thing happening in any evangelical Bible-believing church today? You know, a pastor retires from one church and goes on to become the interim pastor of another church. He writes a letter back, asks the letter to be written from the pulpit, and the letter says, watch out for the dogs. And then he proceeds to describe the dogs, right? Well, what is his description of the dogs? They're evil workers. In other words, they work hard, and what they work hard at is evil. So these are men in the church who are working hard at being evil in the church, right? Beware of the dogs, 
beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. Now, if I were to say to you today, beware of the false baptism, what's the false baptism? Baptism, in many ways, I hope you hear me, Stephen, has replaced circumcision. (laughs) In many ways, there are differences. For instance, women were not circumcised, men were, but baptism is both men and women. And so when he says, beware of the false circumcision, what did circumcision do for the people of God? In the Old Testament, what it did was it marked them physically, right? Can we all agree on that? And so apparently there were people at this time in this church who had the false marking of the rite of initiation, That's what circumcision and baptism are. They're initiation rites. They mark you as belonging to the community. Okay? So apparently in that church, there were people who had a false circumcision. People who had a false version of the initiation rite, the initiation marking. Now I ask you, how do you have a false circumcision? Don't think about it too carefully. But it's pretty weird, isn't it? And so we must be in spiritual area here because certainly any klutz could do a circumcision right when it comes to the flesh, right? And so we're talking about something other than the actual physical act. And here's what he says. He says, beware of the false circumcision. So there were people in this church who claimed to be the people of God, who claimed that they were the people of God because they had been circumcised, and that their circumcision, Paul says, the Apostle Paul, was false. There are people in the church today (coughs) who have been baptized, and yeah, they were put the whole way down in the water, The physical thing was fine, and they have the false baptism, right? So now, who were these people? He goes on to describe them. Watch. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision. Now, again, we're not talking about flesh. We're talking about spiritual realities, So you could say, beware of the false baptism, for we are the true baptism. We are the true circumcision, and here it comes, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. And so now we know that those who are of the true circumcision, what? Worship in the Spirit of God. Worship in the Spirit of God. Glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, in the context of talking about false circumcision, we know what it means to put no confidence in the flesh. But now think of baptism. We put no confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence in the water. We put no confidence in our having been baptized, right? 
And so we know what the true circumcision is. The true circumcision, it says in verse 3 and then 4, worship in the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, put no confidence in the flesh. So look, here's what's going on. The church is divided. And they're divided because the people refuse to rejoice in the Lord. Instead, they're rejoicing in their superiority to everybody else and the lusts of their desires, right? That's, what, that's who we are. That's who we all are, right? Okay, let's just be honest here. And so he says, beware of the dogs. And the minute he says it, he begins to, 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 to open up what makes them dogs, and here's what makes them dogs. They're trying to divide the church. They're trying to divide the church around the, play, the things that they take pride in. And they're all fleshly things, you know? And so he says, look, we're the true circumcision, all right? And, and this is what characterizes us. We worship the Spirit of God. We glory in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. Well, you can hear him as he writes, He's thinking about this and how it's going to play in Peoria, right? And when he says, we put no confidence in the flesh, all of a sudden, you know, it's like throwing gas on a bonfire. It just goes, and here's the, all right? He goes on and he says, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. You know, in other words, he's saying, these dudes are trying to trot out all these things that give them superiority to other people, I'm more superior than they are. Come on. If I've given it up for the cross of Christ, why can't they give it up? Okay, fine. You want to, you want to, you know, you want to play cards. You want to, you know, play checkers. You want to, you know, get into a contest of competition. Fine. I'm going to whoop you. And this is a very normal thing for a man to do in a, in a fight, Right? Watch out for the dogs. It's manly. They're dogs. False circumcision. Even that is really difficult for a postmodern effeminate man. To use the word false. I mean, that's so hurtful to our feelings. False. You know, not true. False as opposed to true. Right? He says, look, I've got you whooped. I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, what? I'm better. I far more. I'm superior. I've got you whooped. How? Well, then he says, circumcise the eighth day of the nation of Israel. In other words, I'm no proselyte. I'm no convert. I was circumcised from the womb eight days later. I am one of God's covenant people. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, it wasn't uh, Calvin says it wasn't because of any natural superiority of the, of the tribe of Benjamin, but he could name his tribe. Do you see this? I am from Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Those are where my ancestors are. How about you? In some pauper's grave over in Ireland? You see, he can trace his lineage back. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Well, that's about the top commendation you can give to the Jews of the Old Testament. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. In other words, the Pharisees were like the reformed Protestant 
Dutch or English Puritan, Pharisee. In other words, I knew the law better than anybody, and I kept it better than anybody. Okay? As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. And he's not bragging about persecuting the church there, but he's saying nobody can question my zeal. I was out persecuting the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. Okay. Finally, rejoice in the Lord. I don't have any problem repeating this to you. Okay. Beware the dogs, the false circumcision. We're the true circumcision. But hey, if you want to get involved in a fight, here are my credentials, and they whoop yours. Okay, now listen. Every single one of you sits there feeling superior to me and to everybody else in this church. And if you sit there thinking, well, if Tim knew what I was like, he would be disgusted at me, even that is your superiority. Because you grovel and take pride in your groveling. The weak takes pride in his weakness just as the strong takes pride in his strength. And as you feel superior to me, you feel superior to the people sitting next to you. You may have affection for them. You may talk in a way that shows respect for them. But every single one of you feels superior to everybody else in this church. Now, let's talk about me for a second. I sent my book off to have a guy read it and tell me how bad it was a couple weeks ago. And sure enough, he wrote back and he said, would you just shut up about your father? Think of how often I talk about my dad. This is me saying I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm an evangelical of evangelicals. I'm a Bailey. Right? Or think of how often I remind you that in Philadelphia, you're allowed to be direct. Right? Because you all get offended that I'm not a Midwest wuss. Because that's what Philadelphia people think of Midwesterners, you know? They can never be direct. And so we all have these ways of defending ourselves at the place that other people judge us and of asserting our superiority in other places, right? And does that allow there to be unity in the church? No. We're so busy trying to establish our position, it's called pecking order. And when I say pecking order, we can all, you know, cop a plea because after all, it's what chickens do. And any idiot knows what chickens do, which is establish a pecking order. But when I talk to us about you and me in the church, it just gets very uncomfortable because pecking order is what we spend every waking moment doing. What is diplomacy and international relations? It's a magnificent dance of pecking order among the nations. What led up to World War I? 
It was unbelievable, the pecking order of the rulers, the pecking order that was worked out through the media, through the newspapers, this op-ed columnist who alienated his country from this country, and therefore they had to take act. Pretty soon, 25 million people were killed. Or how many? How many in the First World War? Come on. And so this is what's going on in the church in, 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 in Philippi. They have the true circumcision. They have the law. They have Hebrew of Hebrews. They were circumcised on the eighth day after they were born. They go through all this stuff, right? And so if I were to say to you, is it good for us to establish our superiority from each other by saying, well, I'm an American and we've had Jesus, you know, long before the Chinese had Jesus, you know? And so it's this pecking order between nations, right? If I were to do that and say, we, I was baptized when I was an infant, right? And some of you that Baptists think that's bad, but those of you that are Presbyterian think that's good, right? Now listen to me. This is as far as every sermon today goes on this text. Do you understand? Because it's very easy for us to look back at them when they were fighting over circumcision and say, what's with that? <laughs> And we just, you know, we're disgusted by it. You know, we say, why are they fighting over circumcision? Those Judaizers were sure stupid. Too bad they didn't have all Paul's letters to show them up, you know. And so, look, you have to translate scripture into your heart. That's the nature of spiritual reading of the word. And so what does this mean for us? Now, I think it was this last week, I was talking to somebody new in the church. Well, no, I don't know who it was. Actually, I just remembered who it was. I was talking to somebody in this church who's not new at all. But I was explaining to this person why I'm always whooping up on gluten. And they were explaining to me that I don't understand that gluten intolerance and celiac disease are real things. And I said, I know they're real things, but I'm talking about the people for whom they're not real things. The people for whom it is a real thing know who they are and don't get mad at me. But the people who get mad at me, it's not a real thing. It's just one more in the endless line of self-improvement through diet that always sells the most books other than books on Abraham Lincoln. Okay, so you want to say, well, there he goes again, beating up on gluten intolerance. I'm not, I'm not. I'm beating up on those of you that order your life through your food instead of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, there's nobody like that in this church. I say, are you an idiot? And I can say that because I'm from Philadelphia. (laughs) Okay, okay, so don't get mad at me. Okay, fine. Not gluten. How about sugar? How about the first lady? She's going to redo all of our school lunch programs so that we have less sugar. She's going to make sure her husband passes laws so that every woman can kill her unborn child. And then she's going to come back to the ones that are born and make sure they don't get sugar. And listen. Every child has a right to sugar. Can we just be truthful about this? Sugar is to children what extra sharp cheese is to me. (laughs) 
Your tastes change. Give the children sugar. For heaven's sakes. Okay, I'm wrong on gluten, and I'm wrong on sugar. All right, okay, follow me here. Feed on demand. Don't schedule your baby's feeding. And you say, well, you're wrong again. And I'm on a roll. I'm wrong on gluten, I'm wrong on sugar, and I'm wrong on the endless debate between scheduled breastfeeding and on-demand breastfeeding. Okay, teach your children using a curriculum written by Groucho Marx. (laughs) Okay, I mean, you get the point. Like, nobody's going to go to Groucho Marx for a homeschooling curriculum. And you say, okay, you're wrong on gluten, you're wrong on sugar, you're wrong on on-demand feeding, and now you're wrong on homeschool curriculum. I say, boy, you are one superior woman, aren't you? And you say, well, no, these are just issues of responsibility. <laughs> I say, okay, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. So you feel superior to all the other women of the church because you don't have, give your kids gluten, you don't give them sugar, and you don't. I did this with a church this past year where everything about this church is weird. There's not one point that anybody coming into this church can have as a common ground with any normal person in society. Not one. And so I went through all the things that we do here to try to give common ground to people coming in from outside, you know? And every single one, I saw the judgment of the elders in their eyes at me. You know, they wanted me to come speak at their conference. But then the minute I began to suggest that they could try this and they could think about this and every single one, it was like, okay, I know. I'm a sinner there, so let me move to another one. And I went through about eight things. And every single one of the things, their claws, their talons were fixed so tightly in that thing that I was getting no purchase on that one. And so I finally got to the end and I said, okay, so I understand that every single thing you do here is a principle that is absolutely, completely important. But then I ask you, what about the church loving the unchurched, loving our neighbors? Is this all really about the superiority of us and our families? And listen, your children grow up in a home where you take the very things the Apostle Paul lists here and you take pride in them. Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day tribe of Benjamin, the law of Pharisee, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. That's the false circumcision, and the church in America today is filled with it. We 
have more in common with another homeschooling church than we have with a church that's humble. If we had to choose between a church that was reformed in doctrine and homeschooling and a church that was Pentecostal and humble, a hundred times out of a hundred times, we would choose the church that had good doctrine. And I'm not talking about oneness Pentecostals. They're heretics. I'm talking about just regular normal Pentecostals. And which do you think God rejoices in? Humility or classical curriculum? You know, now I'm going to start laughing. So listen. You cannot be lazy when you read scripture, right? You read through this list and you don't have, you don't have a, a pony in the race. None of you are saying Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, persecutor of the church concerning zeal. But you know, you haven't learned the lesson of this text if that's the way you read scripture. What you have to do is you have to look at the circumcision of the flesh that's in you that establishes your superiority and that divides this church. Okay? Now, the reason that I talked about predominantly about women earlier is that women tend to be even more competitive than, than men when it comes to the, their families. And, and there's a lot of jockeying for position. And a lot of the issues that we deal with as elders are trying to keep people from fighting about whether they take medication when they give birth. You know, there, some people think that you should do it natural. And it's because their husband never, ever wears gloves to weed the thistles. And so what? We go out to the garden and we don't use a rototiller. We just get down on our hands and knees and pull. And we don't use gloves because after all, God's cursed us with thorns and we should just relish the thorns. And that's the way we approach our wives about giving birth. They shouldn't take any painkillers because God said that you're going to have pain in childbirth. Listen, I assure you, she will have pain, even if she has a some, whatever that thing's called. <laughs> Epidural, thank you. I can never remember the name. God is not impressed with us because he is jealous for his own glory. Every single thing we do for our glory is robbing God of his. And when God tells us what to take glory in, even the thing he tells us to take glory in is shameful. And it's the cross. There is nothing glorious, humanly speaking, about a cross on which a man is spiked naked and hung at the crossroads. Paul says, okay, I listed the things, I've whooped you, but whatever things, verse 7, were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And so... What are you willing to give up for the sake of Christ? You willing to give up your, your, your superiority of diet and cooking? You willing to give up your sugar mania? You willing to have somebody at your table, okay, that doesn't have to see your superiority? Are you willing to, to, to last night, Mary Lee set our table. 
and she said it wrong. She put the fork on the right and the knife and the spoon on the left. And there are many women in here. The world would fall in before they would do that. I don't know why she did it, but I noticed it last night. Why would you do that? She says, I was lazy. And see, most of the rest of you, you will die before you'll be lazy. And that's why we don't have hospitality in our homes. You have to be perfect before you have people into your home. Why? Because people will judge you the way you judge everyone else. (laughs) You know? And the Apostle Paul says, it's done. It's gone. I want Christ. Rejoice what? In the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Listen, when there's fighting in this church, it's because we are establishing our superiority to other people. Depend on it. That's always what it is. And some of you, your fighting is going to be silent. But you know what's in your heart. And some of us, our fighting is out loud. And those of us that fight out loud tell you how superior we are because we fight out loud. And you think how superior you are because you fight silently. And that's just the state of things. Night before last, I was in bed. It was the middle of the night. And all of a sudden, I came awake, and I looked at Mary Lee, and I said, you're angry at me. It was that quick. And immediately, she said, I am. How did I know that? It was just the way our bodies were, you know? You could just feel it. It was like, I think if I got too close to her, she like, you know? And listen, she had good reason to be angry. And that's what the church is like. You know why most people don't go to church but claim to be spiritual? Because only in the church is it clear whether or not you have the true circumcision, which is the circumcision of the heart. Outside a church, you can just blather on about being circumcised, about being a Christian, about being spiritual, about having a spiritual aspect to to yourself. And you never have to defer to anybody else. But in the church, (laughs) there's absolutely no way to be in the church without forgiving and being forgiven. You just can't do it. And it's so hard to forgive and it's so hard to repent because then God has to receive the glory and that's so difficult. All right, finally... Finally, one other thing to say, okay? Did you notice the second half of verse one? To write the same thing again is no trouble to me and it's a safeguard for you. You know that you live in a youth worshiping culture, right? And part of worshiping youth is that the, the, the new truth, the new story always is superior to the old truth and the old story. And so every reformed church plant today is presenting themselves as something new. 
And that's because all of us have, been, have had inculcated to us the, uh, the, the, the conceit of, uh, of the modern, the conceit of progressive, the conceit of evolution, the conceit of what is latest. We want the latest technology. We want the latest truth. And so here we are dealing with things that are as old as the hills and three times as dusty. And it is humiliating to us to have a preacher that just speaks about things that are so pedestrian, so old, so uninteresting. I mean, this sermon this morning is completely uninteresting. (laughs) It's nothing new. (laughs) Now, nobody's going to ask to publish this book. But listen, the Apostle Paul says, I don't mind telling you this again. And it will keep you safe. So do you want to be safe? Do you want the church to be safe? Do you want our unity to be safe? I don't mind telling you this again. Rejoice in the Lord. Do you remember what it says in Nehemiah? The, the address is Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. And what it says there is what? Anybody know? That's right. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit who have set down for us these rules by which our lives are joyful. We pray that we will put to rest our striving for preeminence, our pride, our lust, and that we will be not just content, but that we will be joyful to glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. Father, please help us. We pray in Jesus' name.